Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I'm your host, Kelly. And I am Austin. My husband and handsome co-host. And partner in crime. (gasps) Ooh, crime. No pun intended. So before we get started today, I want to um, shout out to some of our new Patreons. Uh, Jaylee Holmes. Kristen Conroy. Becky Rippey. Hannah... Barge Freedy. Oh my gosh, that's a tough name. Hannah Barge Freedy. Hannah B. Hannah B. Uh, Cameron. Eric, my brother. So glad you're here, Eric. Eric. Yes. Oh, what's up, Eric? Eric, (laughs) my brother. It's about freaking time. Anyway, JK. Um, And then Adriana Lomelli. So thank you guys so much for joining our Patreon. I appreciate y'all. Thank you all for listening. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, you probably already do, but if you join our Patreon, you get one exclusive episode per month and you get monthly stickers and a handwritten note from me. And an autograph on the note from Kelly, which if you were smart, you'd save that. (laughs) Yeah, I'd save that. (laughs) Okay. So today we are talking about the story of Jason Corbett. You don't know Jason Corbett. I don't know a damn thing about him. Not even a little bit. So we actually begin today's story in Limerick, Ireland, with a couple named Jason and Margaret, or Mags Corbett. They had two children together, Jack and Sarah. But in November of 2006, Mags passed away unexpectedly when she suffered from an asthma attack. She dealt with asthma for a lot of her life and had the medications and inhalers and everything around. But there was just one night where she woke up really struggling to breathe. And so Jason called their emergency line, which is 999. Um, and you know, they lived kind of out in the country a little bit. So he coordinated with the ambulance to meet them halfway at like a meeting point and got her there, but she ended up dying on the way to the hospital from an asthma attack. That has to be such a terrifying way to go because you just can't breathe. Oof. It's like your body's ultimate betrayal. It's super sad. So anyway, at the time, Jack and Sarah were only one and three years old. So Jason, having suffered the loss of his wife, needed some help taking care of the kids and keeping the house in order. So he went online on one of those like seeking nanny type of websites, and he got multiple people who came and nannied for the kids for a little bit, but he found kind of this... um, pattern of people coming from the States who really just wanted to like brush up on their language skills or travel. It wasn't, it was like, they just weren't really invested in the children. They were more invested in like their own personal gain until one girl reached out named Molly Martins. So Molly Martins was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. And she was engaged to a man named Keith Magin or Magan. And she had goals to become a doctor. She and Keith met on a dating website, and their relationship moved quite quickly, moving in together after only six weeks of knowing each other. It's not a long time. Not long at all. But then she had a little bit of a quarter-life crisis after she suffered a miscarriage. And according to Keith, she moved to Ireland while they were still together to be an au pair for just a few weeks for a widower and his two kids, or at least that's what she told him she was going to do. And then after she left, 
He never heard from her again. And you know, at the time, he did say that her behavior was very erratic. She had been diagnosed with bipolar depression, which we're going to address in a minute. But she would always come up with these grand plans and you know, these ideas, but she never really followed through with them. And even with medical school, like she was the type of girl who I think, in my opinion, things kind of came easy to her. And if they didn't come easy, then she didn't want anything to do with it. So she even admits herself that, you know, when she was studying to prepare for med school, it got harder and harder and she wasn't used to having to study so hard to succeed. And so that was why she ultimately decided against becoming a doctor. And went to Ireland in an attempt to kind of maybe find herself or just get a break. Or have something easy, yeah. Yeah. So Keith, her fiancé, later came out with an essay on this whole case. He wrote it um, and like published it on Facebook. But anyway, he admitted that Molly suffered from bipolar depression and had spent time in a psych ward in Atlanta before she left for Ireland. And I don't know if this was before or after her miscarriage or if her miscarriage, um, you know, exacerbated her mental issues. I mean, I can only imagine I've been through a miscarriage and I know they're really common. So I know some of our listeners have been through them too. And it can be very traumatic and triggering. Very mentally taxing. Absolutely. It's devastating. So yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine that, you know, if she wasn't taking her meds like she should have, or if her meds weren't completely figured out or what, that, you know, a miscarriage could certainly ignite some issues. But anyway, like I said, I don't know if she was in the hospital before or after that. I just know that it was before she went to Ireland. So anyway, he also said that she was prone to lying and was taking an astonishing amount of potent medications. So again, I don't know if these were regulated, if she was taking them like she was supposed to, if she was taking the right ones. I don't know. A potent amount. I mean, in that context, kind of sounds like maybe overkill with it. Maybe, or maybe she was taking some drugs that kind of like, I say drugs, I meant medications that maybe kind of knocked her out a little bit or make her really tired. I don't know. He went on to describe how she was also unable to hold on to a job and would spend hours, sometimes days in bed or in the bathtub, just crying. And he said that her parents were aware of this, but did little to really help her. So when Molly arrived in Ireland, she was only 24 years old. And when she arrived, she'd only had a one-way ticket. So customs over there, it kind of flagged that she only had a one-way ticket. And she didn't have a working visa. She never bothered to go through that process. So they sent her back home. Because they she were like, showed up there? just showed up in Ireland to take this nannying job, but didn't even get a working visa. She literally just thought, I'll just buy a ticket to Ireland, fly there. I mean, just, she's only 24. That's crazy. So she's obviously maybe a little immature, like naive to think, oh, I'll just buy myself a one-way ticket. And Pretty responsible for the country to say, no, you're going to go back. Yeah. This isn't how this works. Right. You can't just buy a one-way ticket and live here. So anyway, the second she gets back in the States, though, she buys another ticket with a returning flight this time and goes back. So she kind of like worked the system, finagled it a little bit. So anyway, when she... she is sick of being on the damn plane? Right? I would be like, maybe this is my sign that I should just stay in the States. I don't know. I hate flying for that long. So I would be the same way. This is my sign. Right. 
So anyway, when she got there, she did not tell anybody about her engagement or any of her mental health issues. Like she really kind of kept a lot of that a secret. Starting a new life, essentially. Yeah. She's, you know, yeah, starting and turning over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take long being the nanny to Jason's two kids, that she ended up falling really hard for Jason. And things started moving really quickly. And at one point, Molly had to come back home for a little bit. So they were emailing back and forth. And in in the emails, Jason admitted that he felt like things were moving really fast, maybe a little too fast. And he just wasn't really sure about their relationship. But she convinced him that they should stay together and that he should even buy a new house because she didn't like living in a house under Mags's shadow. Like she felt like it wasn't her, she couldn't make it home. And in a way I kind of understand that. I mean, if there's, that's a tough line. You know what I mean? Well, no, but she at this point is in love with him. So this isn't even about the job anymore. This is about their relationship. And she felt like staying in that home was hard on her, which was in turn hard on their relationship. Because she's engaged back home. Well, yeah, but she, you know, ghosted him. So oh she's effectively so time, not engaged anymore. At this time, is her, her fiancé, like, done? Yeah. I guess she eventually reached out weeks later after she arrived in Ireland with a Facebook message to her boyfriend. And it took him a couple of years to get over the heartbreak that that caused him. I can only imagine. Nuts. So, anyway, you know, when it comes to her wanting him to buy a different house. I can see both sides of that coin. Okay. I can see why maybe she wanted to have a fresh start where she didn't feel like she was constantly like the, the woman after the widow or the woman after the, you know, dead wife. But at the same time, I can also see his side where he's like, I want to keep her memory alive. I didn't want to lose her. You know, I want to respect her memory and for the kids and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I can see both sides of that. Okay. But apparently Jason's family felt like she was really manipulative in her efforts to keep them together, to buy a new house. Like it was like her way or the highway, according to them. And ultimately, Jason's company that he was working for offered him a job in the States. So they ended up moving to the States and getting married in, um, in her hometown. Or, Curveball. Yeah. I mean, he, he gave in, I guess. Mm-hmm. They ultimately settled down and bought a house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So their marriage, of course, had its ups and downs, as many do. I wouldn't be sitting here telling you this story if their marriage didn't have some ups and downs. Molly had a temper and a trouble. she had trouble hiding her temper tantrums in public. And Jason's friends and families recalled the bizarre stories that Molly would tell. She allegedly told some people that she was pen pals with the children's mom before she passed. And which that to me is like, so creepy because she only met Jason through that nannying website. So it's like, I'm almost reminded of the Chris Watts story when Nicole Kessinger is like, no, I didn't know anything about Chris Watts or Shanann. But then they go back and find out that she had actually been stalking him and his family for like months prior to their alleged beginning of their relationship. Mm -hmm. In this case, I don't know. I don't know if she really did research. Well, I don't know if she would have, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question she because wouldn't even have he known wouldn't, her. right? Because there would never be an account on the nannying website. One hundred percent pulled out of her ass. Yeah. So yeah, no, there's no way that could be true. That's a good point. 
Yeah, because there's no, there would be no need. There would be no way for her to find him on the nannying website before yeah, she died. She would have never got a nanny. Exactly. So anyway, that, yeah, good thinking. Anyway, she also told people that she was the kid's biological mother. Another even, weirdo thing. Yeah, even apparently detailing the birth story of how she labored their daughter. Issues. Those are some issues. And one thing that wasn't up for debate, though, was Molly's desire to be a mother. And I don't know if this was triggered by her miscarriage and she just desperately wanted to be a mom. So maybe she found Jason and these two kids and she's like, here's my chance to be a mom to these kids. And, you know, I wonder if it almost taps into that Munchausen's by proxy when you, you know, you have these two kids who lost their mother tragically and now you've stepped in to be like the martyr stepmom. Is it like, are you You're just trying to be the superhero, trying to be the hero in a story? Yeah, in a shitty situation, like because she just wanted to be a mom, period. She didn't care which way she was going to get it. Regardless, she's got problems. So, anyway, Molly really wanted to become the legal mother to Jason's kids, Jack and Sarah, but he refused to make that change, thankfully. So seemingly in retaliation, Molly started getting really frustrated with his, I don't know, like inability to give in to her or like unwillingness. So Molly started hiding recording devices all over their house and even in their car. She was stocking up on this like ammunition of, you know, gathering evidence of their fights to try to show how loud he would get with her. And so gaslighting mm -hmm. and then probably playing it cool whenever she does have issues and then making it look like he's some asshole. Exactly. And you could tell in one of the recordings, um, he, this was on ABC's 2020 and, uh, there's an episode about this whole case and you can hear there, they seem to be in the kitchen and Jason is trying to talk to Molly, but Molly keeps kind of talking over him, but toward to the children. She keeps talking to the children. He's like trying to talk to her. She keeps ignoring him. He starts talking and she's like, kids, why don't you get the stuff to make the pancakes? And it sounds like he slams his fist on the table and he's like, see what you do? Like you, you keep talking over me. Like he gets really frustrated, but it's almost like, was she egging him on to get make sure he, she got this on a recording? Mm -hmm. Or was he always this violent, loud-tempered guy? You know, it's, it just seems kind of like she was baiting him. Like, she knew she had these recording devices. He had no idea they were around. Pretty misleading. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where you kind of have to just take it with a grain of salt. You know, don't just take that, you know, because the kids start screaming. They're like, stop fighting. And it's really sad. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but who's really starting this fight? Is it Molly or is it Jason? Mm -hmm. So anyway, things in their marriage became very tense. And I think Jason sensed that the end of their marriage was drawing near because they fought constantly. He mentioned to the children that they would be going back to Ireland soon. And he made, he started making arrangements to make that happen. And one day in the summer of 2015, he was shuffling things around in their bedroom and accidentally dropped the kids' passports on the floor. So these were supposed to be locked up in storage, like not in the house. But Molly saw them when they landed on the floor. And I think she realized like what he may have been planning to do. It was kind of like a red flag to her. So of course, Molly's version of events is very different. According to her, she says that he became very controlling and argumentative. And in one incident, she recalled him flipping out over there being raspberries in the fridge. 
because they were so expensive. We can't afford raspberries. But even though he had just bought these $500 golf clubs. So this was like a story from Molly. She said that he also tried to control what she could wear and monitor, monitored her phone activity. She even said that their fights became physical with him smothering her, choking her, or suffocating her with a pillow. And she admits that she repeatedly thought about leaving, but really didn't want to leave the kids without a mother for a second time. So that's what was really motivating her to stay. Coworkers, friends, and neighbors loved him, though. There was nobody else who could corroborate her version of their marriage, right? So, you know, that's really tough because, like, he was, according to his friends, the life of the party. He was dubbed the king of the cul-de-sac. Like, nobody had a bad word to say, word to say about him except his father-in-law, Molly's dad. So Molly's dad, Tom Martins, is a retired FBI agent who was aware of the struggles in his daughter's marriage, but says that he really just wanted to stay out of it. However, he did recall one conversation that he says he had with Jason's former father-in-law, the father of Mags, who died from the asthma attack. He asked him what he thought of Jason, and apparently his response was, well, he killed my daughter. But oddly enough, though, Mag's family doesn't recall that conversation at all, and Mag's dad has since passed away. So there's no way that we can prove that that conversation really did happen. I call BS. The lady made up that she was the kid's mom and had stories about the labor. That's detailed. That's like lunatic lying. Mm-hmm. And probably made all this shit up, too, and was maybe feeding her dad this information that was also false. So the whole way along, yeah, he might say he knew about this going on. Well, he knew about it going on from her version. Yeah. He's only getting one side. Right. So what was the other side of the story? Well, I, I kind of already explained that just how Jason, you know, was, oh, was growing tired. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Just that everybody loved him yeah. and he was getting tired of all the fighting yeah. and was probably going to move back to Ireland. But then on August 2nd of 2015, Molly's parents, Tom and Sharon, came to visit because Molly told them that things with Jason were getting pretty bad. I already have my guess of where this goes. Let's hear it. She's going to end up trying to frame him and killing herself or something, and it's going to be his. It's going to be pinned on him. That's an interesting guess. Go ahead. Okay. So anyway, she tells her parents things are getting bad with Jason. I need you guys to come stay with us. So they come stay for the weekend, and they come bearing gifts. They bring. Well, they, as in Tom and Sharon, Tom brings a tennis racket for Sarah and this used baseball bat for Jack because Jack was into baseball and Tom says that he was really excited over hand-me-downs and any kind of used baseball gear. So anyway, they had some pizza for dinner that night and the night ended well with everyone going to bed in their respective rooms. So I guess the, the house is kind of three stories, right? So there's like a basement with a guest room where Tom and Sharon are staying, On the main floor is the master bedroom where Molly and Jason are sleeping. And then on the top floor is where Jack and Sarah are sleeping. Or he's going to kill her because he's going to be so tired of her stuff. (laughs) Just keep listening. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. So Sarah, I guess, had been having some really bad dreams lately. And according to Molly, Jason was growing really frustrated with her frequent need to be coddled. So when Sarah came to the room that night, she stayed outside the door and just whispered until Molly heard her. This is all according to Molly. 
Molly says she got up, took Sarah back to bed, and that when she came back to bed, Jason was awake and furious. She said, quote, he woke up and he was angry. He wanted to know why I'd gotten up. Then he was furious because Sarah had been doing this lately. And, you know, she just wanted to be coddled and she was too old for that. And I shouldn't have gotten out of bed, unquote. Molly said that the fight began to escalate. And since her parents were sleeping downstairs, Jason put his hand over her mouth to quiet her. But Molly's dad, Tom, was already woken up by the loud voices and stomping from the floor above him. So he got up and went upstairs to check on what was going on. And on his way upstairs, he grabbed the bat that he brought for Jack. Tom recalls that when he got to the bedroom door, he saw Jason with his arm around Molly's neck in a chokehold. He told Jason to let her go, to which Jason responds, according to Tom, quote, I'm going to kill her, end quote. He starts edging towards the bathroom, kind of dragging her towards the bathroom. And Tom says that, you know, if he gets into the bathroom, there's going to be a door between us and he's going to kill her. So Tom says he grabs the bat that he brought for Jack and begins swinging at Jason. He hits him on the back of the head, but it doesn't stop him. Jason grabs the bat and pushes Tom away. Molly at this point realizes Jason now has the opportunity to hurt her father with this bat. And Tom says, quote, I grabbed the bat with two hands and hang on for dear life. We're struggling back and forth now, four hands on the bat, and I'm trying to hit him with the bat, and I hit him with this end of the bat and hit him with my elbow and hit him with my fist or anything else, but I'm going to hang on to the bat. And he goes down, I've got the bat, and I back off, end quote. At this point, Tom says they need to call 911. Jason is bleeding all over their bedroom. There are huge pools of blood on the floor, on the walls, on Molly, and on Tom. But what I have trouble understanding is how this seemingly quick struggle could result in so much bloodshed from just one person. If Molly, or I'm sorry, if Tom had his hands on the bat for so long, how was he getting hit so severely that it was causing this much bloodshed? I mean, you can look up the pictures yourself. I'll have them on our Mama Mystery page on Instagram. But the crime scene photos. You have the photos with the blood? They're a mess. It's really bloody. There are huge pools of blood on the wall where it appears that his head was against the wall and he was struck like with his head against the wall because there's, and then there's blood splatter all over the wall. It's on, it's on the carpets. I mean, it's everywhere. Okay. So the police arrive, they take Molly and Tom outside for separate statements. And Molly is reassured by one of the officers that this appears to be a case of self-defense and she doesn't need to worry. They're like instantly telling her that, which I'm like, that's a mistake. Why would, I mean, whatever. I don't know what the protocol here is, but I just don't think that you should be saying that type of information without at least investigating the crime scene first and doing like a thorough investigation, but whatever. It doesn't matter. One of the officers inside wrote in a search warrant that in his opinion, the scene was inconsistent with the story that they told because, you know, the story seems to end quick. He hits him in the head. And then Jason grabs the bat. So then they're fighting over the bat and somehow he gets hit again and he's down, right? But Down and out. Yeah, like he's down, he's bleeding, he's done. They call 911 and he's like, I think I killed him. He's bleeding all over the place. And the dispatcher is telling them to perform CPR. And um, Tom, who's a retired FBI agent, 
would seemingly know how to perform CPR doesn't do it or isn't doing it whenever the dispatcher is on the phone because she later testified that neither Molly or Tom seemed to be out of breath when they were on the phone getting instructions on CPR. Molly was certified in CPR. But even on the phone, she's like, I'm certified, but I just, I can't think. Like she couldn't think straight to just give him CPR. And then when they brought Molly and Tom in for questioning, they found no blood on their hands, no blood on their like mouth. You know, if they were giving CPR, they'd have some sort of like blood on them. Molly did have some blood on her forehead. It was Jason's blood. And then Tom had blood all over his t-shirt, but none of it seemed to appear to be from the transfer from a CPR. And all this blood and him being down and out thinks he killed him. And it's from the one hit and then the argument over the bat. And then he got hit one more time. Well, here's what's interesting. Another inconsistency was that Molly said she'd hit Jason with a paving stone, which was found in the bedroom covered in blood. You can see pictures of it too. It's drenched. But in her interview with 2020 before her trial, she said she didn't want to talk about that. So why was there a paving stone in their bedroom? According to Molly, she says that her and the kids were planning on painting these paving stones and like as an art project. Like such bullshit. And so she kept this big, it's one of those like, uh, what do you call those? I don't know how to explain like, it. Like a, like a uh, trapezoid. Yeah. Kind of like a trap. No, the it's, shape it's, of the block. yeah, but it's only four sides. It's in a trapezoid. I'm going to show how dumb I am. A trapezoid is like, you're not dumb. I, I think maybe it is. Anyway, uh, anyway, it's an oddly shoved paving stone. Okay. This is not, it doesn't matter. Why would it be on your nightstand? And it just seems really convenient that it would be on your nightstand for you to use as this weapon. And why not mention, if you're already admitting, like, why not mention that if you're already admitting to hitting him with the bat? And then not only that, but when they brought him in, when they brought in Jason uh, to the medical examiner and they examined him, they determined that he had been hit at least 12 times with the bat. And they said they hit him twice in a paving stone, possibly. It was complete overkill. There was absolutely no need to keep hitting him and hitting him and hitting him, at, I mean, for that long. Think of if you're going to do a project with the kids and you have a paving stone you're going to paint. Are you really going to keep it in your night, on your nightstand? No, I would keep it in the kitchen or in the living room. Like, no, I would not bring it in into my bedroom. Or the it's just such a random place. Yeah, it just seems really convenient that you had this weapon. And you know what else I think is convenient is that he brought his grandson a used bat. Like, it just seems like you were preparing for something that was going to go down. So I'm going to bring this bat. You know, like, it just, maybe it would have seemed more believable if he brought his son a brand new bat. But apparently he had brought him a bat the year before, too. And I mean, I don't think kids grow out of bats that fast, but maybe I'm wrong. Either way, I just think... You know, you, you hear things, you hear things are going poorly in Molly and Jason's relationship. So you come kind of at the last minute and you come bearing a gift and the gift happens to be a weapon or something you can use as a weapon. And you grab it on the way upstairs. And you grab it on the way upstairs. But yeah, his skull was crushed so severely that when they were um, transferring him to the, the board, you know, to take him outside, pieces of his skull were falling out. There were pieces of his skull shot, like, um, hit so hard. They were pressed into his brain, like found inside his brain matter. He, it was complete overkill, catastrophic injuries. So 
In Jason's will, he said that he wanted his sister Tracy to be the kid's legal guardian in the event of his death. So after a custody hearing, the judge granted custody to Jason's sister, and she took the kids back to Ireland with her. And this absolutely devastated Molly. The kids were upset as well at the time, crying and begging the social worker not to take them. And with the kids back in Ireland, Molly tried absolutely everything she could to get a hold of them, even calling a radio station over there with a message for the kids, hoping they would hear it. And back in Ireland, Jason's friends and family were advocating for Jason, claiming that he was this gentle giant, because I'm so sorry, I forgot to mention, he was over six feet tall and like 250. And he was a big guy, which is another discrepancy in this whole fight. We're talking about Molly, this little blonde woman, and her dad, who is a retired FBI agent. He's actually a pretty skinny guy. He's older, has all white hair. Like, I don't know how else to describe him. You'll just have to look at the pictures on the Mama Mystery page, or you can Google him. But the thought of this old man overpowering this big, huge dude from Ireland, it's kind of like, this doesn't really make sense. So anyway, the family and friends back in Ireland and at home all knew something was not quite right about this. And they all felt like Molly was just a gold digger with mental issues who really just wanted to be a mother and maybe just wanted to have those kids all to themselves or all to herself. And so they posted all over social media, contacted the DA's office, begging for justice for Jason, begging them to look deeper into this. So back in the States, investigators are reviewing evidence of the case and they are noticing huge discrepancies between the injuries that Jason sustained and the injuries or lack thereof that Molly and Tom sustained. Molly the story. Well, yeah. And the whole story, but you would think during this scuffle with a bat and a paving stone and this like, you know, trying to overpower this guy and Molly's getting choked that they would have some sort of injuries. Molly and Tom did not have a single mark on them. Not a scratch, not a bruise, nothing. Almost like there was no fight going on. They woke up in the middle of the night, conspired to do this, and took him out. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like to me also. Only Jason's blood smeared on Molly's face and all over Tom's t-shirt was found. Neither Molly nor Tom ever bled. Jason, however, sustained such brutal injuries... I already told you the extent of those. Um, But, you know, for Molly claiming to have been choked by him, she didn't have a single mark on her neck. But when she was brought in for questioning, she kept vigorously rubbing her neck, almost as if she was trying to make it red or make it appear like there had been a struggle with her neck. And the investigators and the police around her kept having to tell her, hey, stop rubbing your neck. Like they actually had to tell her, stop doing that, stop. Because she's literally sitting there trying to create marks on her neck. Oh, my gosh. So, and this is totally just a side note, something that I personally noticed, okay? But Tom, the dad, was dressed in this, like, orange-striped polo tucked into dark pleated shorts and a black belt. He looked kind of like a regular dad headed to Costco on a Saturday, not a man who woke up at 3 a.m. and killed his son-in-law in the middle of the night, like... That just seemed odd to me. He, and he, it wasn't that he changed. The blood was on his polo. So like, was he sleeping in his polo, his shorts with his belt on, like fully clothed from earlier in the day? Did he finish it up? Oh, wait, this was with the shirt that the blood was on? Yes. 
Yeah, it was like... Probably, it, put it on, probably put it on before he head upstairs to figure out what's going on in the argument. I mean, it just seemed odd to me because, yeah, he says that he was awoken by the sounds coming from upstairs. So then, like, why aren't you in some sort of PJs? Like, you're fully dressed with your shirt tucked in and a belt on. Nobody sleeps in a freaking belt. That's weird. Unreal. So anyway, that was just something that I noticed. I don't know... I never saw it pointed out in like the shows that I watched or the podcasts that I listened to or articles I read. It's crazy because it's But I thought that was interesting. So yeah, the physical evidence just did not line up with their version of events. The blood splatter was all over the floor and the bottom half of the walls, indicating that he was already down when he was being struck. So again, doesn't seem like a case of self-defense. It seems like you're beating on a guy that's already down. So to their own shock, Molly and Tom were charged with second-degree murder. The only people who could really testify to what happened in that home on the night of August 2nd and any nights prior to that were Tom, his wife Sharon, and the kids, Jack and Sarah, and of course Molly. Was the, was the girl questioned if she really woke up? No. So See, that's another thing I thought was like, well, and maybe, bumps. maybe I missed it. Okay. Maybe it, maybe she was questioned about if she had a nightmare that night and if she did in fact wake up, but I didn't see that anywhere. And I never saw it confirmed. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because it still could have been, okay, she did wake up and then she went back and the dad knew that was the time to come up or something. But sure. But if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen, there's a massive discrepancy. Yeah. Then why like, would that be overlooked? I don't know. And I'm not saying that it did. I'm just saying I didn't see it. So if it was confirmed, not on the Dateline episode, not in the podcast that I, podcasts, plural, that I listened to about it, not in the articles I read. That's why it's taken me so long to write this episode because there's been questions I'm trying to get answers to and I couldn't, I couldn't find them. So if you know about this case and you do know like if that was confirmed or if you hear any discrepancies in the story, let me know because... I just thought that was weird. But yeah, Sharon, who was downstairs, never came out of the room that night, which many people found as odd. Surely she would have heard the intense struggle going on in the room above her. Or there wasn't a struggle. Well, and like, why wouldn't she have come up to see what was going on or call 911? I mean, this man is getting hit in the head multiple times. You have to think about that. 12, 1, 2, 3, and count to 12. That takes a long time to be bashing someone's skull in with a bat. And a stone. And you think it's quiet? Like, you think Gosh, that's going to be quiet? So freaking scary. It makes you, like, hold your head, like... <laughs> yeah. Jason's son, Jack, said in a taped interview with investigators that, yes, their parents would fight, and he witnessed the fighting before. And in the interview, it's recorded, and you can watch this interview, but Jack is kind of, like, stuttering. He's like, yes, you know, they would fight, and my dad would um, physically... Um, physically and emotionally abuse my mom. These are words coming from a child, okay? And then they were like, how would he physically abuse her? And he'd say, hitting, punching, um, something like that. Like he would just rattle off the examples. It seemed to me like he was being coached, coached to give these them. answers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but later he retracted these statements and said that his dad was never violent or physical with their mom. Which makes you think it was coached. Yes. So 
When this went to trial, the jury only took four hours to deliberate before returning a verdict of guilt. Molly and her dad were both sentenced to 25 years in prison. One juror got so upset viewing the pictures of Jason's crushed skull that she threw up. Another juror actually believed that Molly attacked Jason while he was sleeping and that her dad helped her cover it up. In a handwritten victim impact statement from Jack, he wrote that Molly is so many bad things and she is not a part of their family. She will never be forgotten. She will be remembered as a murderer. And then in a shocking turn of events, Molly and her dad were released after serving 44 months in prison because the North Carolina Supreme Court granted them a retrial. Oh my gosh. I was like so like relieved that they got justice and that, that, that it was they were going to get the punishment they deserved? Well, the, they were granted a retrial, and the retrial is set to begin in 2022. So justice is still attainable and possible. But as of right now, they're out and waiting their retrial. Sarah is now 14, and Jack is 16. And um, in a statement that Sarah made about this whole case on Twitter, she said, quote, Molly Martins abused me and my brother before then murdering my father in 2015 with her FBI dad. She made me an orphan. They were convicted of murder, but now they are out for retrial because she made me lie and used my words to get free. See, these kids are old enough now. Gosh, it gives me the goosebumps. Yeah. These kids are old enough now to realize everything that happened. So these people yes. are running around free right now. They are, but I mean, they, they have a trial coming up, so they, it may not be for long. They and be listening to our podcast right now. Maybe. Wouldn't that be creepy? So yeah, I want to hear what you have to say about this case. If you think that this really truly was done in self-defense or if this was a cold calculated murder, I can definitely see how people would view it as a murder. I, that's, I can without a doubt not even see it as a self-defense. That's the way I'm leaning. Yeah. If, I mean, that's just my opinion. I'm just a nobody. Like my opinion doesn't really matter. That's just my personal opinion. Having read this story and my watched and read or whatever. Because I'm the co-host of Mama Mystery. And I think that that's what happened. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. <laughs> People are going to be like one star. The guy's a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> please don't leave us a one star review. Hey, you know what? If you haven't bags. reviewed us, please get on. Give us a nice review. We really appreciate them. Kelly wakes up in the morning, sends me the good ones, the funny ones, all of them. All of them. All the good ones. We appreciate it, everybody. Until next time. Mama. Mystery.